Oh, every time I, I get these emails for accounts that I don't even have, I love it when they're trying to con you. Hey, everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind, uh, the podcast devoted to 80s entertainment and beyond. We are now in year 1988, wrapping it up. We were going to do two episodes, but guess what? Captain Kingfuck forgot to tell my co-host, uh, um, Jacob, to watch one of the movies. So <laughs> we're going to do two separate episodes. For screw it. Uh, uh, I forgot to tell him about my stepmother's an alien. I also forgot Oliver and Company. Okay, guys, I fucked up. There's a lot of movies on this list that we didn't get to, um, mostly because they watched them, and I was like, mm, they. I don't know if they warrant discussion. Like, Distant Thunder is a really, really good movie, but it really doesn't fit in the tone that we usually do on the show. Um, so I would say if you like... Vietnam dramas uh, with uh, John Lithgow and Ralph Macchio. That's pretty good. Um, other than that, we're going to do nine movies this episode. And it's not going to be that long, honestly. We usually only go a half hour. We'll go 45 minutes or 50 this time. So, Jacob, start us off with our list. Okay. Hello there, everybody. Good to be back. All right. So, the first movie I definitely wanted to um, discuss was one I watched uh, during childhood. And I think it's kind of like what helps um, give me my absurd and ridiculous and silly sense of humor. Uh, Naked Gun with Leslie Nielsen. Saw this in theaters. Double feature with twins. Um, and uh, it went well until we got to twins where the gentleman that was sitting behind us with, her, with his shithead friend decided to put his boot um, not only on the back of my mother's seat kept kicking it, he decided to put it on her hair. And my mother would what not an go asshole. to a, she would not go to another movie in theaters. So I think Terminator Two. We only would go to the drive-in after that. And uh, thanks, asshole. Thanks for ruining that for all of us. <laughs> I know. I hope you. <laughs> Damn. Never mind. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to sound too evil. I hope his penis fell. But anyway, off. <laughs> there. <laughs> okay. Good. All right. You said it, not me. But I wished it. Anyway. We're both in on it. We're both guilty. Naked Gun. Yes. Um, this is what introduced me to O.J. Simpson. I had no idea who he was before uh, any of this. I always thought he was like a comedic actor. But no, he was a professional football player. My dad even had a jersey of his. Yeah. He, he did do some dramatic work before this. Usually low-budget garbage. And he would do a few after this. But yeah, this is kind of... Wow. And it really hurt the third one. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that. But when the third one came out on video... <laughs> oh, crap. Because <laughs> by then, O.J. was arrested. Yes, we all know what for. Yeah, I didn't know who any of these people were, honestly. I only knew, well, I think I knew Ricardo Montalban because I had seen Wrath of Khan. I didn't know who Leslie Nielsen was. I hadn't seen Airplane yet. I didn't know who George Kennedy was, Priscilla Presley. I'm trying to think of any other names in this. Of course, Weird Al was the only name that I really knew. (laughs) He's in it for two seconds. Right, that's right. After um, uh, Leslie Nielsen's character, like, he finishes that assignment overseas. Then he comes back, and he's thinking this whole, like, um this whole meeting the press things about him but it's no it's just for Weird Al it's like it's him like discussing his heartbreak from his wife leaving him Frank they're not here for you Weird Al's on the same flight (laughs) (laughs) now it seems to me like Zucker and Weird Al like kind of have this little like um, professional relationship like I know he was involved in Spy Hard yeah that's not them though that's different people oh oh it is you'd think yeah, but he's well. He's a parody guy who gets uh, so he did like uh, Johnny Dangerously, which was the first parody movie I had seen three years earlier. So he did the theme song for that. Then he shows up in this. He has another cameo in Part Two where he's uh, an armed gunman. 
um, Frank Drebin just slams the door in his face. And I believe he makes a cameo at the Oscars for the third one, and then he did the theme yes. song for Spy Hard, which is Leslie Nielsen, but it's not the uh, Zucker Brothers. It's like those Freebergs. Well, you know those two guys that made all those shitty date movie, uh, uh, oh, epic movie, yeah. those fuckers. Those guys. But yeah, you would think, of course, uh, Weird Al would be the perfect person to be involved in something like this. Uh, yeah, uh, again, it's just absolutely hilarious. And, of course, there was one scene in particular where Leslie Nielsen's trying to find some uh, evidence against Carlos Montalban because he thinks he's behind, you know, O.J. Simpson getting shot up and still surviving, <laughs> surprisingly. So fast. <laughs> this this is faster than Airplane and Top Secret by a long shot. It is rat-a-tat-tat, machine gun quickness. I don't know how they did it. There's one scene where Frank Drebin is negotiating with a with a guy about information. So he gives him money, and the guy goes, "Why do you want to know all this stuff?" He goes, "I'm not telling." He goes, "Well, how about a 20?" He goes, "Okay." And he, and he goes, um, "Then he asks him a question. He gives a 20 back, and he does it again and does it again and whatever." And the guy who he's supposed to give to the money in the first place needs a twenty dollar loan. To, <laughs> this is fucking ridiculous. He goes, "Can you can you loan me twenty? Thank you. Okay, now tell me." And gives the twenty right back. It's so fucking fast, and. It blew my mind that you could do comedy this crazy, this fast, and focus on one genre. And I mean, I guess I've seen oh, Giant Danger before, but this really is just gutting the genre. And that's what's wrong with spoof movies now that are in this tone. They're still parodying spoof movies, but they're usually not this rhythm. And that's what everybody got wrong, I want to say, with uh, Scary Movie. Uh, the first one's okay, but there's a lot of that of the moment. And the scary two movie, the scary movie two, screwed it up. And after that, that's we all spoof and we seem to be is hey, what's popular right now, and not really decrypting the genre itself with a real plot line. Absolutely. Now that you mention that, yeah, I definitely see that now. And I will say this to scary movie: this, those were both by Keenan Ivory Wayans. And right. I felt like their brand of comedy definitely is what held it together more than more so than. Uh, Again, uh, the pre- the next installments. Right. And, and the thing is, you know a parody movie is good is if it's still a functional story that you're entertained by if you take out all the jokes. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, as you mentioned, uh, yeah, I could still enjoy and watch this movie. And it would still function. The, However, uh, I did notice the uh, baseball scene at the end. Those were all real baseball players, yeah. weren't they? And I know Reggie Jackson was there. It's a thing that they would do, and the Fairley brothers did it as well, is get a real athlete to play a small role. Now, like you had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the first two airplanes. I don't remember anybody in Top Secret, but they did it in this, and then it just kind of became a trend. Um, you know, like they do with basketball, they had real athletes. Uh, the Fairley brothers would do it with Roger Clemens, and, and I can't remember, uh, kick his ass, sea bass, and dumb and dumber. Uh, Brett Favre and oh, stuff like yeah. that. So that was kind of a trend, and now we have it with like wrestlers, where they're becoming legitimate actors. Because what am I thinking of? Uh, we have Space Jam and, and the sequel, and then uh, uh, Uncut Gems. Like they're they're finding really good actors in these athletes, and I'm kind of surprised. Well, <laughs> Michael Jordan was terrible in Space Jam. Let's give him that. Yeah, we can't lie about that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, hey, Bucks, Le- LeBron can actually hold his own. <laughs> LeBron could actually hold his own. I'm not going to lie. LeBron James, especially in train wrecks, he made me laugh my ass off yeah. <laughs> at some of his moments. But I will say this. Uh, that one scene that did get me, uh, where it's like, oh, that poor woman. 
was when he's like hanging off the balcony and he's like actually oh. grabbing that woman's boobs and then he like has that breaks off the fake dick of the statue and I'm like the poor woman she is forever marred by this this is forever she, she's forever going to be known yeah it's it's so strange uh, <laughs> Leslie Nielsen was only able to be really funny in this series because it feels like after uh, Naked Gun 3 um, he knew he was funny this is nothing new other people have said it um, but he knows he's funny now, and now he doesn't play it as dry, which is what is what makes it funny is when it's just completely straightforward. <laughs> exactly, because he takes himself... The character takes himself a little too seriously, but he's just an absolute moron. Yeah. But we as the audience think that, you know, this is naturally coming from Leslie Nielsen. We think he's actually trying to be funny, but knowing that now, fuck. Yeah. I, I appreciate it even more now. I love the escalation <laughs> of things in the movie, too, because when there's that chase sequence and the guy is like, his car blows up, then he ends up on a, uh, a, a missile, and then he ends up going into a fireworks store. It's <laughs> just. Oh, God, yes, that whole truck scene uh, with the tr- student driver. Even yeah. the. Uh... <laughs> oh, and a John <laughs> Houseman, the legendary uh, Shakespearean actor, John Houseman, he goes, Now gently put your finger out the window and raise your middle finger. And... <laughs> And raise your little finger. Yes. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the truck driver acts so surprised. I'm like, they of all people are the ones who most likely would do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no. Oh, my God. Uh, again, it's a childhood classic, and I still enjoy it to this day. All right. What is oh, our man. next film? This next one, uh, I remember watching this uh, briefly a couple times as a kid, but then rewatching it as an adult. My God, I actually really do enjoy the movie. It's uh, High Spirits with Steve Gutenberg and Peter O'Toole and uh, Daryl Hannah. Yeah, I watched this when it came out on video. We're super hyped for it, and I think we watched it a couple times. This time I think it's a little messier than I remember it being. It does seem like it's a lot of noise with not as much uh, substance to back it up. But it is very right. unique. I really don't know a whole lot of movies that really are, especially like supernatural movies, set in the U.K., Especially in this setting, like at an old castle where it's not um, historical. That's usually the way it is. It's usually, um, oh, dark and drab, and everybody's like, uh, you know, old-timey hammer style. This is a a modern-day comedy, you know, in 1988, um, that mixes comedy with supernatural elements, and it's outrageous, it's crazy, it's got a hell of a cast. Uh, It bombed and nearly derailed the company, uh, Transworld, that produced it. And the cut apparently isn't what the director wanted. I can't remember his name. He's the one that did Interview with the Vampire. Um, Neil Jordan. Neil Jordan, thank you. But I'm going to say this. Neil Jordan doesn't know comedy. This is literally the only comedy I know he's ever made. And he was like, this isn't my cut. The studio went back and reshot it to make it funnier. I was like, yeah, because it's a comedy. Um, Just let it go. Okay, I will agree with you on that. However, I still enjoyed it for what it is. Yeah. Um, especially Peter O'Toole. My God, you can never expect anything less from Peter O'Toole. Yeah, Gosh, it's... You know, uh, he has the charisma. He's just... Light, he, he pretty much lights up every scene. Yeah, it's it reminds me of Haunted Honeymoon. If you're going to pair it with anything, it's probably that. Where um, it has that same kind of vibe and tone, and both are the same kind of setting. I think this is better than hot, uh, Haunted Honeymoon. I think Haunted Honeymoon is a little lost, especially in its... Uh, uh, rhythm, but um, tell us about this amazing cast. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, we have Steve Gutenberg, who was really hot in the eighties. Let's not deny that. I mean, he was pretty much popping up everywhere. Um, again, 
I, he his character is basically like you know a husband just trying to revamp his um, marriage with um, I keep forgetting her real name but uh, Beverly D'Angelo Ellen from Vacation Beverly D'Angelo that's it my gosh I should know that hey, yeah Beverly D'Angelo she seems like not interested she's always hopped up on Valium she just trying to sleep everything away and um, yeah they're pretty much just trying to go to Ireland to this haunted castle to just like kind of spruce things up you know, and of course, Peter O'Toole's running the whole thing because he's trying to get himself out of debt, pretends that the castle's haunted, and, oh gosh, who else appears in this? Oh god, Peter Gallagher is a priest. Jennifer Tilly, a younger Jennifer Tilly. She still looks amazing, by the way. Yep. And, oh gosh, uh, Daryl Hannah, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. A uh, horny, like, funny Liam Neeson, and this is weird to me. Did you know that he signed up to remake Naked Gun with Seth MacFarlane? Yeah, I can't talk. Seth MacFarlane? No, but I can definitely see that happening now. Oh my it's, god! It's, it's, it's a weird choice, but seeing this, I know he can do comedy. But you know, before that, it was Ed Helms, which I think is too on the nose. Ed Helms knows he's funny, so it's not going to work. He's the vacation movies aren't that one that he's in is not very good. Yeah, no, honestly, I could not believe that he was rusty. Uh, it just, you know, just way out of character. Was Anthony Michael honestly. Hall not available? That's all I want to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, who knows what it could have? Who knows what it could have been? What could have been the reason? Anyway, um, back to high spirits. Uh, yeah, who else was in here? Uh, oh, gosh. Mostly it's a UK cast, but I think that's those are some big names. And for some reason the movie just didn't connect. I think it opened up against Who Framed Roger Rabbit, so that's the other thing. Oh yeah, no. Uh, oh yeah, if you're going against Roger Rabbit, you're screwed. Yeah, you're so screwed. <laughs> this is but the summer again. of comedies, though. There's a lot of competition. You got Coming to America, you got Crocodile Dundee two, you got Big, and other st- and, and mostly stuff we're going to mention here. Um, it was a really big right. summer for comedy, and nothing else really. Action movies and sci-fi really didn't take off, with the exception of Roger Rabbit, which I consider to be a comedy. Right, of course, yeah. Oh no, definitely. I mean, that's how I see uh, Roger Rabbit. I never thought of anything uh, more than a comedy, but um. Yes, uh, again, rewatching this, just like the uh, chemistry between, uh, again, the chemistry between uh, Daryl Hannah and Steve Gutenberg was just, I thought it was just hilarious, especially that scene when uh, Daryl Hannah, you know, it starts turning into that, like, old, moldy kind of form, and then he's just like, he's like, I love you, but, and I have to save you, but he's just very hesitant to kiss her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think what works best is uh, the gimmicks, because he's trying to make a fake haunted house. And um, they have all these setups and wired gags and stuff like that, and everything just goes wrong. And that's a lot of the cool humor. It's the domino effect of disaster. Absolutely, yes. Oh my god, that, especially the spinning bed. Oh god. And then Peter huge. Gallagher jumps in the bed with Jennifer Tilly, and then everything just comes crashing down. I am always shocked oh, that Peter Gallagher wasn't a leading man because he's very handsome, very talented. And it just eluded him. I don't think he ever really was a star um, in an A-list movie. I can't think of anything. Nothing. Yeah, no, it's hard for me. I would have to look back. I know he does a lot of Tony stuff and singing in Broadway. Yeah, um, and that might have been because he did The Idolmaker, which is a fantastic movie you should see sometime. It's his first performance. It's 1980. And um, he just blows you away. And then he did a couple smaller movies and then just disappeared and, and then it wasn't until uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. That's the movie that he was, I guess, is his, probably his biggest role. But that was an independent film. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, well, I know he showed up as the villain in uh, Mr. Deeds. 
That's right. Okay, but he's still. That's probably the closest to a studio co-lead. But uh, I'm always shocked that he just didn't get an offer for something else. I mean, he's in While You Were Sleeping as well, but that's just such a small role. Yeah, he's definitely one of those actors that definitely deserves a little bit more. Yeah, this is uh, Goot is almost done at this point. He has this in Cocoon 2, which, good lord, if you can find the Cocoon movies, I'm fucking shocked because Fox has thrown them away. I don't know what's going on, why they're ashamed of them. Well, yeah, exactly that, and also Disney owns them, so I'm pretty sure they're going to have to dig through archives somewhere. Yeah, but... Um, so he has this, and then he's going to take a two-year gap and do uh, Three Men and a Little Lady... And don't tell her it's me. And then he disappears for four years. I think he was just burned out. He made four movies in 87, two in 88. And I think he was just like, I got my money. I'm going to go chill. Exactly. I mean, he could. Like, once he's set, he's set for life. He's like, okay, I can just lay back and relax now. Yeah. I think he did a direct-a-video Casper movie, if I remember correctly. Well, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, because who's in the first? Oh, it's uh, Bruce, um, Bill Pullman in the first one. Yes. All right, what is our next film? Okay, our next film is, again, another... Um, this is a spoof. Uh, exploita- I think it's a spoof of exploitation films, and um, this director I mentioned earlier, Keenan Ivory Wayans, uh, also stars uh, and directs it, I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker. You dirty and, mother, shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> again, it's a very unique, again, a very unique theme song, and just the way it did play um, on black exploitation films, Again, it was just wonderfully done, and it had to be done by them. Yeah, I don't think anybody else could have pulled this off beautifully. So, and just uh, again, the supporting ahead. cast too: Bernie Casey, Clarence Thomas III, um, Clarence Williams. Oh God, yes, Clarence Williams. That's what it is. Why did I say Thomas? I don't know. Political on your head, <laughs> but it's it's all guys who were in exploitation movies. So you got Bernie Casey. Um, Jim Brown, all American football player, but also one of the most successful of the black 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 exploitation actors of the seventies because he actually got the lead in some studio films. Um, uh, shit, shit. Uh, Isaac Hayes. Uh, then we have Antonio Fargus, and then there was uh, sadly um, Steve, the man, the martial arts guy. He's from American Ninja. Damn it, Steve jo- uh, Steve James. Um, he started a few exploitation movies around this time as well. But he sadly died, I think, of leukemia at 43. So he never. He's really funny as like this crazy Bruce Lee uh, <laughs> knockoff. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, a, it's a love letter. So the way this movie got made is the previous year, Keenan Ivor Wayans co starred and co wrote a movie called Hollywood Shuffle with Robert Townsend. Uh, it was funded with credit card. Yes. And I think it was done for like $300,000. And uh, everybody in it did it for free, just, you know, because they loved the idea of breaking out from the, the, the stereotypes. It's a commentary on stereotypes of how they cast black people. You're either a pimp or a, oh, gee, my Esther kind of role, you know. So that it's it's all about breaking oh, yeah. down. And it cost $350,000, and I think it made like twelve, And that's pretty big for an independent movie. So United Artists, I wish I'd sh- I could show you uh, Hollywood Shuffle, but they took it off of Voodoo, and I can't oh. find it anywhere. But um, it's really funny, and it's it's kind of a spoof movie. It's it's realistic, but it has spoof sketches mixed in with it, and that's what got United Artists to sign Keenan Ivory Wayans for. I believe this is a three million dollar movie, uh, a love letter to exploitation films, and it gets a lot of it right. Here's the thing: is there is another black exploitation parody movie from 2009 called Black Dynamite, but they're so different ah. in their the way they're done, the way the jokes are done. Um, both work. 
even though they're commenting on the same thing. Right, of course. And uh, I'm going to get you stuck here. It's kind of like what I grew up on. Oh, th- that one scene that always gets through to this day is when Damon Wayans is following the girl home, and then, <laughs> you know, she straight up, like, <laughs> scares the shit out of him and attacks him, and he's screaming for help. And then he's, like, trying to play cool in front of his friend like he didn't scream at yeah. all. I've got cramps. <laughs> he overgolded. I, I I remember seeing this when he just like uh, floored by how silly it was, and then so many jokes work. I love that. Uh, just just don't step on my bunion. Or he comes in. Who's coming to save the day? Oh, mom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, his mom. Because he's like, don't do this. Like I told you, I'm gonna don't know. I can do this myself. And yet, when mom does come in, nobody fucks with my baby. <laughs> exactly. She fucks shit up. <laughs> I love the the Chris Rock appearance is legendary. Uh, that's why everybody also like, who is this kid? And he comes in, he goes, uh, "How much is an order of ribs?" And he's like, six ninety nine. Can I have one rib? <laughs> he goes, "One order of ribs? No, 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 one rib." <laughs> he's counting the change in his hand. How much is that? He goes, "All right, one order of ribs, sixty nine cents order. Uh, how much for a soda? Um, seventy nine cents. Seventy nine cents." Do I even need a cup? Just pour it into my hand. And then he goes, fine, 15 cents or whatever. And he pulls out this goddamn wad of money. It's so fucking big. Hey, no, and Isaac Hayes is like, look, man, please don't bother us this way. Uh, it parodies, it, just, it does have a few current parodies. It parodies Rambo, you know, the whole arming up sequence with all the ammo. And then what Isaac Hayes falls over and collapses enough from the sheer weight and all the ammo goes off. <laughs> Um, and then there's the part where he has to dig that tiny little splinter out of his finger. <laughs> it's a really Oh, no, and then the bunions. Oh, God, the bunion scene where his toes over swelling. Yeah. He's about to explode. I, um, oh, yeah. uh, I still laugh to this day and bring it up. That, uh, you know when, when the whole thing started with the masks and the guy was like, you can't make me do this. I go, we're a private company. We can tell you whatever we want. Yes, the CDC says you don't have to wear a mask anymore, but we're a privately owned company. We can tell you to wear fucking shoes that are lifts that have goldfish in the bottom of them. And <laughs> I'm telling him this the whole time, knowing full and well he's not going to get the reference from, I'm going to get you, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wasn't he, that actor, didn't he play Huggy Bear? In, yes. Uh, Starsky and Hutch. Yes. Yeah. Antonio Faragas. Yeah, and of course, you'll see a Wayan sibling through like almost every scene. You yeah, see well, you even see, Wayne, uh, Sean, you see Marlon. Marlon. There's Marlon does a small cameo in the background. Yes. Sean, I know, it does have a small cameo as well. Yeah, and Kadeem uh, Hardison's in singer. this. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, his sister. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking terrible singer. I know. <laughs> I don't know. I thought I thought she did decent. It's just the lyrics were funny. There was yeah. like, Ugh. but uh, anyway, uh, yeah. Again, I still laugh to this day, and I still enjoy the hell of it. Oh god, especially that Clarence Williams uh, scene where uh, <laughs> Keenan Irons trying to recruit him. <laughs> bean tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Yeah. All the bean products, like his white wife, and of course, like his uh, his kids' history homework about Abe Lincoln. I'm like, well, he, that, he's definitely not wrong about that. <laughs> did you, a little bit ahead of his time. <laughs> did you notice who his daughter was? No, who was that? That was Ariana Richards from Tremors and Jurassic Park. Oh, shut up. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Yeah, it's okay. A, so she did start off real. Yeah, early. it's a really fun movie, and and there's nothing really offensive because uh, you know a lot of the newer spoof movies are trying to push the boundaries of what they can get away with, and that's the cute thing about '88 is that they just want families to come and see this ridiculous stuff. Oh, absolutely, and of course, when it's done by that particular. Um, cast and crew then it's like yeah no this is them poking fun at themselves they're allowed to do this yeah i read the in living color book the whole story behind it and they were like because this was a hit and everybody was confused as to why he didn't keep making movies and he was like this is how we can become household names this is how we make it for all of us because we can have this show on for a few years become household names and then we can get any movie made so that's why he Pretty signed much, yeah. on to do in living color um the next year right and, and yeah, how how many people became household names from that? I mean, Sean was a DJ. Um, of course, uh, his a few of his sisters were involved in the cast, and then of course, yeah, it launched Jim Carrey. Yeah, and of course. Uh, and then yeah, David Damon was a big star. David Allen Greer was never a lead, but he was always like oh a go to support. Who was always he's my favorite of the bunch. Oh yeah, no, and Jamie Fox. Great. Yeah, and he of course had a little part in uh, I'm going to get you sucker as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a little. Um, at the little event Bernie Casey was uh, uh, hosting. All right. What is oh, our man. next film? Next film. Uh, oh, gosh. This became an instant favorite. I don't think I've ever seen this before at all, even when I was younger. But Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Michael Caine. Oh, you Martin. have not seen this. Oh, my God. This is legendary in my house. To this day, we it still is. joke about uh, not mother and make my mother laugh so hard. Me and my sister would just do that. <laughs> we did this at Thanksgiving, I want to say 2001, <laughs> and my grandmother didn't know, did not know what the what we were referencing, and we're eating mashed potatoes, oh. and I look at my sister with, <laughs> with mashed potatoes in my mouth, and I look at everybody, and I go, not mother? Minnie rolls. She's laughing so hard, and then there's a pause, and then she <laughs> spits out the mashed potatoes, which is unlike her. I'm pretty sure she spit out the mashed potatoes. And we were laughing so hard. My grandmother looks over at my mother, and she's like, what are they laughing about? And we were in hysterics. <laughs> oh, my God. Seriously. Uh, just that whole scene, again, the way everybody just bounced off each other. Yes. It was like, again, Steve Martin was a little more toned down than usual. But was he? Because like, the last the time I checked, it, he, he was, was running there. around with pants going, Oklahoma, 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 Oklahoma. <laughs> right. <laughs> May I use the bathroom? Oh, Thank God, you. yes. Oh, no. To think, it was just Steve Martin wanting to learn from, you know, Michael Caine, who yeah. was like the big uh, scammer, the big confidence man. You know, rich guy knows what he's doing, mastered. Uh, Steve Martin, of course, a little bit green at the gills, but. Right, you know, but also, also like low woman. stakes. He's just looking for like a free meal, you know, low stakes. This is. Michael Caine is a high end grifter. And, and this is a, a remake of a movie I have never seen with uh, Marlon Brando and uh, David Niven. I think it was like Bedtime Ooh. Stories or something like that. And they remade it a couple years ago with Anne Hathaway and uh, Rebel Wilson called The Hustle, which I have not also not seen. Huh. That I'll have to look into. There's a musical of this, a Broadway musical with John Lithgow, and it's pretty good. Oh yeah! Oh gee, John Lithgow I swear, is a great uh, is a great Broadway performer. Yeah, and down. and here's the thing: is it's it's a lot of like learning. It's kind of like Pygmalion, but with con artists. So they're taking this schlub and making him high class, and. 
you know, trying to set him out on his own, but he, he's just a, a pain in the ass, and they can't get rid of him, so they're going to make a bet to see who can take the most money in a short period of time. And, uh, spoilers, they don't know what they're messing with. They get someone who's way smarter than them, and I, I think the escalation of the, the con is what works so well, because they don't really repeat themselves. But it's also not impossible, like the way it is with some of these con artists thief movies, where it's like, the gimmick is so elaborate, like the Oceans movies. Those are so elaborate, it seems like they're impossible to pull off. No, this is all about them as people, not gadgets and not timing. Um, and I'm fucking watching Dr. Emil Schaffhausen, which I like to say at work all the time. Um, uh, oh, God, yes. And, and his torturing of the apparently unable to walk Steve Martin character. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel that one? Look, he's so happy he's in tears. Did you see the Emperor in there? Ian McDermott. Yeah, Ian McDermott, yes. He was uh, um, Michael Caine's uh, butler. He plays Arthur. And he just despises, even at the end of it all, he still despises Steve Martin. <laughs> he doesn't like build up on friendship. He's like, no, screw you. I still don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially after uh, after they got conned by uh, Glenn Hadley. Uh, yeah, that's the, that. That was basically their main target on who the on who they made the bet about. And turns out she was um, she was referred to in the newspaper in the movie called the Jackal. She was this master uh, con artist. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> Michael Caine, even after being conned, he couldn't help but laugh. He's like, I can't believe it. She did that to us. But I love it when, <laughs> once she calls him like uh, uh, Peaches O'Toole or something like that. He's an Australian re- uh, retail mag or a uh, uh, real estate magnet. Or whatever. Real estate mogul, yeah. Is it Fishes O'Toole or something like that? And they just stare at him and she goes, Well, boy, is he going to say anything or not? <laughs> oh, I'm Peaches O'Toole. I can't remember what he says. And this is my mute idiot friend. <laughs> Yeah, and Steve Martin goes exactly. to say something he's like oh shit <laughs> she screws them over but then she ends up making it up to them by getting in on this multi-million dollar deal yeah and <laughs> and yeah, in my head I like to think that this and Money Pit are in the same world that those two assholes that conned him into that giant house are also involved in this world like they show up to get conned by Steve Martin and, and Glenn Hedley and uh, Michael Caine. Like, I would love if that was the final result. They go to this island and get, you know, suckered. Ah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that would work out perfectly. If you watch, if you watch the end, setup. if you watch the end of Money Pit, it almost feels like they're on the same exact yes. location. Oh, my God, yes. Again, this became an instant classic. Oh, you know who I noticed was, uh, was at the dinner table when Steve Martin had the eye patch and the freaking <laughs> pitchfork? Uh, the uh, Trident. Yeah, um, I don't know her name. Frances Conroy. S- thank you. From Six Feet Under, right? Yes, exactly. That's okay. who it is. And she was in Joker. There Great, is uh, there is a trailer for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and it was the first time they ever knew that they would shoot stuff for the teaser that wouldn't show up in the movie, which is more common now. But there's a scene where they're just walking down uh, the riverfront, and they're showing how classy and debonair they are, and slowly Steve Martin reaches out to a beautiful young woman who's... Oh, no, no, there's a dude who's fishing or whatever, and he's not paying attention whatsoever, and Steve Martin just slightly shoves him into the water. And that's it. That's the whole thing. And then I watched the movie going, that wasn't in the movie. What was that? It's, it's a teaser. It's just to give you a, a feeling for the mood of the movie. Exactly. That Hence why they say teaser trailer. 
Yeah, this is a, a no. long collaboration. Context is important. This is a this is part of the long collaboration between Frank Oz and Steve Martin. Uh, that they uh, they did uh, Little Shop of Horrors together. Then this, I know that they had worked on the Muppet movie together, um, House Sitter, Bowfinger. I feel like there's another one in there. But also yes. he would work with Glenn Headley again in uh, in uh, Sergeant Bilko, which I think is horribly maligned. I think it's a very funny movie. Oh god, I still have not seen Sergeant Bilko. So good. We'll we'll hit it in 1996 because it is most definitely in our shared account. All right, what is our next movie? Yes. Okay, uh, this one I do remember briefly as a kid. Uh, married to the Mob. Love, I never got the actual story love, of it, but love I absolutely movie. love it. It has gotten better. I, I This is another one of those where it's one of those legendary tapes that my grandfather ta- uh, would record for us, and we watched this so many times. I did not know who anybody is. Oh, who anybody was at the time. I didn't know who Matthew Modine was, Michelle Pfeiffer. They were all on the cusp of breaking through. Um, no, I didn't know who Michelle, uh, Mercedes Rule, Dean Stockwell, or the director Jonathan Demi. Who has jumped from genre to genre? This guy is amazing. Uh, I mean, how on earth do you direct Married to the Mob in 1988, and three years later, you're doing Silence of the Lambs? How the fuck are those connected? <laughs> who who says yes? Yeah. <laughs> that is a trip. Let's not lie. And then but Philadelphia. Man, I, <laughs> How does that happen? I know. Dang, you would never think that this director directed those movies. You're like, holy shit! Like, or just like uh, what's his name, James Mangold, uh, directing Wolverine and Logan. Yeah. He directed uh, the sweetest thing. Like, what the hell? I don't remember him doing that. I thought he went Copland. Uh, no, 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 not the sweetest thing. It's the one with um, uh, Kate and Leopold. He went, uh, he went Copland, then Girl Interrupted, Kate and Leopold, then um, I want to say Walk the Line, then 310 to Yuma, Night and Day. God, why do I even know this shit? No, no, he did Identity somewhere in there, that thriller that's set in a hotel with John Cusack. That dude has bounced around a bunch, and now he's doing Indiana Jones and the search for Geritol. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! We're, you know, Harrison Ford's face is going to get digitally mapped onto a stuntman for that whole damn thing. For a lot of that, yeah, no, I wouldn't do it. Well, I'm having a root I beer. I'm it. having a root beer coffee chiller right now, so I am revved. I am fucking revved. So I apologize for talking so fast. No, 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 it's all good. But the way this movie plays out, it's just uh, again, just overall, just wonderfully well done. And Mercedes Rule, though, oh. Holy God, shit, though, she, she fucking blows the door off, doesn't she? I mean, she's got Big and this within a couple months of each other, and she nails both. She's barely even in Big, and she's just like, I'm a star. What happened to her? Where is she? I know she did Last Action Hero. She was uh, the main character's mom. Yeah, and in 93, but... she got an Oscar nomination for Lost in Yonkers, and then I could not tell you a single thing she did after that. Yeah, oh, man. Uh yeah, I, I'll have to look. I'll have to jujul it. I'll have to IMDb it. Did you jujul it? Do you? Because I'm curious. <laughs> I said jujul on purpose. Just blame oh. the show. Big Mouth. <laughs> you were a weirdo all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, just blame the show Big Mouth. That's why I say a lot of oh, okay. shit. Okay. Um, the, the, the funny thing is, Marriage to the Mob is very low key, and, but not in its stakes. Like its locations and its setting are very minimal. 
and it's more about the characters. And the simple fact is that she lost her husband. Yes. Uh, because Dean Stockwell's who was a character, hitman. yeah, who uh, Dean Stockwell's character is uh, jealous. And it is a comedy, but there are some serious stakes here. And he is a true villain, and Mercedes Rule is fucking insane. And there's a constant <laughs> threat that she's going to get killed for things that are perceived and real. And Matthew Modine is there. I think he fucks up. His character fucks up by dressing as too many different people, showing up too many times. They should have rotated who was on the mission. and not Oliver Platt is thrown away in this, by the way. I love Oliver Platt, and of course, it is one of his early performances. But there's so much better they could have done with him. Exactly. I mean, if anything, he could have gone undercover and showed up, uh, right? Dressed up. I don't know what but the deal you... was, but Matthew Modine was red hot after Full Metal Jacket. I think they probably just gave him some of the work that Oliver Platt's character was supposed to do. Oh, I'm pretty sure that's what it was too. Oh, Charles Napier was uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's hairdresser in the movie. Yeah, which is like, a surprise because different. he's always a very stiff, tough, mean guy. But in this, he goes completely against the grain. Exactly. He's just so flamboyant and out there, and he fixes up uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's hair. And who, again, she captivates. It's I Michelle think, Pfeiffer. I think the showstopper of this whole movie is that uh, fast food shootout. I mean, yes, oh, it kind of yeah. goes against... They, they set the tone a little bit earlier with the assassination of, of, of Alec Baldwin, the one that he does before that. But all of a sudden, there's Chris Isaac. Of course, nobody knew who Chris Isaac was at the time, so it's not a, it's not funny, because now I'd be like, what? Um, but that shootout is fucking badass, and it really shows you how dangerous Dean Stockwell is. And it's a hard thing to do with these movies, is to jump tones. Exactly, yeah, because Dean Stockwell's character, he's, like, definitely uh, possessive and psychotic, but he's also very aware of what goes on. And the only thing he does fear is his wife. He fears nothing but his wife. Yeah, and she she is terrifying, and she's out of her mind. (laughs) No, that one scene where she's trying to surprise him with the honeymoon suite, she's like, she already has a honeymoon suite. (laughs) And then when when the... uh, attendant asks her a question she's like just give me the fucking ticket dickhead and and this is nothing (laughs) nothing whatsoever there's nothing here to diminish what matthew modine and michelle pfeiffer are doing Uh, they're very they're very good in this i think their story is great but there's something about dean and mercedes just fucking outshines them so strong (laughs) exactly i will say this about their two characters i mean michelle pfeiffer is just sick of the mobster lifestyle she doesn't really want anything to do with that Heck, even when the little kids are, like, you know, playing the card game and her son's, like, taking money from them, she's like, no, you don't do that shit. Yeah. Like, what the hell do you need to do that for? And uh, also, when she confesses to Matthew Modine about who she, about her past life, that just, just uh, shows her sincerity and her and her honesty. Yeah. It's a you really know? good movie. And this is when she's coming. This, she's not an A-lister yet. She's almost on her way. She has Witch, Witches of Eastwick and this. And it's the next year with Tequila Sunrise and the Fabulous Baker Boys. All of a sudden, everybody knows who she is. She is now an A-lister, and she fucking earned it. Absolutely. I know. She's still just an amazing actress. Yeah, I love her. Uh, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, right? It was the oh, last yes. thing I think I saw her in, but she's so good. Absolutely, of course. That was like one of her latest projects. And all she had to do was wear a wig. Yeah. Um, l- let's say this. There is a movie, <laughs> since we're all probably never going to get the shot, uh, 2008, I believe, is called Personal Effects with Ashton Kutcher. And I think Ashton Kutcher is severely underrated with his drama. And it's about loss and these two people that come together to, to comfort each other. It's, a, it's a, It got sent straight to video, I think. 
but it is phenomenal, and it's 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 his best performance, and I think she's absolutely wonderful. And I think that we kind of forget what to do with older actresses, and I, I hate that. Absolutely, I mean, come on, even some of them that do show up and still can act, like Judy Dench and you know Helen Mirren. Yeah, no, you, they definitely should know what to do with them, especially yeah. when they they're just absolute masters at their craft. Yep. Or heck, even uh, Angel Bassett, by uh, Viola oh, Davis, God, yes. and oh gosh, you, you, there's uh, another one on the tip of my tongue. Well, I was thinking like even um, uh, it seems like the streaming channels are where they where they go now to give them quality products, but projects. But uh, Grace and Frankie, you know, you have Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, yes. uh getting phenomenal work, and I think that's what it is. You have to curate your own thing now on these streaming channels in order to have control. Absolutely. And, of course, with Grace and Frankie, oh, gosh, they've executed that perfectly, both Fonda and Lily Tomlin. I almost blanked on her name. You just said it, too. What is <laughs> it wrong happens. with me? What is, our, what is our next movie? Okay, our next movie, uh, Caddyshack 2. Now, Actually, okay. I didn't dislike this or didn't think it was going to be uh, – Less funny than I thought it'd be. It yeah, you. Now, is this your first time watch? Because I know you. When we did our very first, I think our very first podcast together was doing a commentary track for Caddyshack, and you were pretty fucking pissed about this movie. Uh, Caddyshack too. I don't remember watching. Oh, ever. so you just heard uh, through the grapevine that it was a god awful film. Now there are problems. There are problems. And there were problems with the first movie, and I think a lot of it is the fact it's called Caddyshack, and it barely focuses on any barely. of the caddies. And apparently that's what it originally was, and the studio told them to go back and re-edit it because it just wasn't working, so they started adding all the footage with the known actors. And I think the second one balances it a little bit better, where it does really heavily focus on Jonathan Silverman. But it still suffers from excess, and clearly this movie was meant for Rodney. And Jackie Mason just isn't as good. No, but that dance scene, that <laughs> I can't get over that dance scene. That I thought he uh, executed that perfectly. Yeah. But yes, I felt like it needed to focus more on Jonathan Silverman and the actual caddies this time. Yes, it, it bounces around too much. But and yeah, Chevy Chase actually popped up more than I thought he would. Yeah, well, I mean, I think they paid him like five million dollars or something like that. He shows up for like a week of shooting. He did this between Funny Farm and. Um... Oh, wow. God, there's another movie in here. Oh, no, no, no. It's Dan Aykroyd that had to do a bunch of t- movies. Dan Aykroyd in 1988 did The Great Outdoors, The Couch Trip, a cameo in this, and My Stepmother is an Alien. Now, that's a 1988. Right. Huh. Mrs. Esterhaus. Dan Aykroyd, I mean, he definitely lit up the scene. I want to see Mrs. Esterhaus and Dr. Emil Schaffhausen in one movie together. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, seriously. Oh, God, that end... Uh, when he asks if he could get the poison sucked out from his ass by yeah. Chevy Chase, it's like Chevy Chase is like, uh, okay, what exactly is the end game for me? This is where I'm torn. Chevy Chase is uh, simultaneously fucking terrible in this and amazing. It depends on the scene. There's no consistency. Right. There's a scene that's so revolting, and I just want to push him off the screen. Is when he goes up to those women, and I don't know if he's doing it on purpose, trying to offend them to see who sticks around, or what. And he just says the nastiest, just like if you heard it now, you'd be like, "You motherfucker! Don't you know about me too? You know, you're not even flirting; you're just being disgusting." That scene fucking derails his character so hard. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even in the first movie, Ty Webb like did like a couple like you know a couple gestures, but not 
that no. he didn't go that far. And, and, and that's the thing is his charm is gone in that one scene. Everything else in the movie works because he's a laid back, chill kind of guy, and he's improving. When he's doing that scene, I almost feel like, oh, we're seeing the asshole version of Chevy Chase, not Ty Webb. Yeah, pretty much. Also, oh, you know what I did like as a gimmick? Like those high-tech golf clubs. Yeah, that's, that course, seems like a holdover. Because you know they wrote this for Rodney, and Harold Ramis came in to do it. And Rodney didn't like the way things were breaking down or whatever reason. Maybe they didn't want to pay him very much. But uh, he backed out of it, but they kept most of it. Now, I think they should I love the gimmicks, but I almost feel like the gimmicks are Rodney's stuff. That Jackie Mason should have been someone else. Um, I like the story about him and his daughter and the uh, the Jewish angle and how they they repress that and how they want her to change her name and stuff like that. I like that, but the gimmicks they just don't fit with his character. No, they don't. I mean, I give I give uh, credit to Jackie Mason to where it's due. I mean, he's yeah, the best well, he had, what he, he did had. What he, he did what he could, and. Um, Randy Quaid was originally supposed to be Sam Kinison, but when Rodney walked, <laughs> Sam walked as well. Yeah, of course, because those two were like those two were like uh, like peas in a pot. I mean, yeah. especially after um, back to school. But I'm telling you uh, right now, I don't think he could have been funnier than Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid is out of his fucking mind, and I love it. <laughs> I know he's a lawyer, like he knows his stuff, but then he just straight up gets violent with the freaking rich snob. That I did, I did like the approach of that, getting back at them to, um, you know, kind of like. You know, put their money where their math is. I mean, shit. All the uh, construction work they had to do, they could yes. barely do. So, uh. and get back here! It's not even lunchtime yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the uh, uh, who am I thinking of? So in in Ted Knight, of course, is unbelievably funny in the first movie. He's a big reason why that works. Robert Stack is good, and thank God they don't have him copy Ted Knight's approach. He's a just he's not a uh, smug. And kind of like he thinks he's hilarious. No, Robert Stack is a stick in the fucking mud, and he's kind of a you know a monster because he hires Dan Aykroyd to kill him. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then Dan Aykroyd ends up blowing up his Rolls Royce instead of the other. <laughs> yeah, the Gopher. The Gopher's so good in this. The the puppetry yes. on this and the characters beefed up. Exactly. Yeah, he's definitely more animated and more mobile. And I'm pretty sure is that Frank Welker. Is that Frank Welker doing the freaking voice? Almost guaranteed. I swear. Yeah. <laughs> Take another drink. So you think mm. this is um, unjustly maligned? It's, it's. I don't think it's an F, and I don't think it's an A. I think it's like a C. No. The C, C minus, whatever. Yeah. Some stuff works. I love that Kenny Loggins track, by the way. I had that CD. It was a very itty-bitty, tiny CD back when singles were like a third of the size. I had that for years. Wow. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Oh man, but I will say I will say that uh, I, I did want to mention that was Kenny Loggins coming back to do the song for this movie. Yeah, it was definitely more upbeat, fun. Again, overall, really good soundtrack. And if anything, yeah, I'd say this movie, in baseball terms, I'd say it was a hit. Yeah. Maybe a single. Yeah, this is the summer of delayed sequels too. Um, we get Arthur Two, which was unfucking watchable. I couldn't even get through it. That was uh, seven years later. Caddyshack is eight years later. Phantasm Two was nine years later. Um, I feel like there's oh. an, I feel like there's another sequel in here that was much delayed, um, and that would happen in 1990 as well. It's so funny when there's so many years between them. But I know that they were pushing for Caddyshack two for a very long time, and they just finally got it made. It's not one of these things where like, oh, this actor's career is suffering. We need something in our uh, you know summer release. That's why we're going to do it. Caddyshack two was long gestating. Yeah, and it did sprout, but it wasn't the 
crop they hoped it would be. Nope, it is a bomb. I think Caddyshack would make a very good TV show. Oh, God, yeah. To oh, finally... geez, who would they get to do it now? Well, I mean, you put it on HBO Max, make it R-rated. Um... I think Joel McHale would be really good as like the uh, the the um, Ty Webb character. Um, yes. But I think what you really need to do though is finally actually make it about the caddies. Yes, of course. Get it from their point of view, as was as it was originally written. Yeah, that way you could get some um, big names come in, and they don't have to be the focus. They can just come in and do a couple episodes or or an arc or something like that, and then they can move on. Exactly. Oh, dude, that would work beautifully. I think Rob Lowe would, would be great I would be happy in a, to see that. a snobby kind of Ted Knight role. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, dude. And Rob Lowe's just so hilarious. I yes. mean, from... I mean, especially after Parks and Recreation. Yeah, I, yeah. He was like one of my favorite characters. <laughs> all right, what is our next movie? I didn't realize we're almost to an hour now. What is our next film? Okay, our next film is uh, Midnight Run. This was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, this is the first time I've never seen it before. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Robert De Niro, it was like, I want to say it was a blend between action and comedy, somewhat. Yeah, it's it's not, it's from the director of Beverly Hills Cop. And it's not straight up comedy, nor is it straight up action, it's more of a character piece. Like, planes, trains, and automobiles, if there's death involved. <laughs> well, there is a death in Well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but it's all about, you know, he's this hard-nosed, uh, broken cop who's now a bail bondsman. He has to go and get the Duke, which is like the big score that he's looking so he can get out. And, you know, Joe Pantiolano, yeah, Joey Pants, um, he's his uh, boss, <laughs> and he wants to pay him this huge amount of money to get him safely to court. And that's why it's a midnight run. They have to do it quickly and under the radar because the mob is after him. Exactly, and if need be, like they have to. And there's also the uh, the feds are after him as well because you know, whenever it comes to like high stakes people like that, they're going to get right. in on it. And he's competing with regarding uh, Yafet Koto. Uh, he's competing with Yafet Koto and his team. He's competing with uh, John Ashton, who is a competing uh, bail bonds guy who has no <laughs> no morals really, and and also Dennis he, Farina, the mobster, and all his men. Exactly, and that's why the FBI wants to get involved. This and was I love a, how like Robert De Niro is just dicking around the FBI the entire time, yeah. like you know, taking his uh, ID, pretending he's a pretending he's a Fed, just so he can have quicker access to get over there and get the guy. Yeah, the, this is actually a oh, franchise. Man. No one know, seems to remember this, but in 1993, Universal signed a syndicated deal to do sequels to some of their franchises. So they did. Um, uh, three of these, I believe. Another Midnight Run, Midnight Runs Again, and stuff like that. And then they did a bunch of Smokey and Bandit sequels. Uh, they did Hercules, um, the TV show, but it started off as movies, and Rising Sun. And nobody really remembers that. And honestly, this is the best one. Uh, Chris McDonald is great, but he's no Robert De Niro, and there's no comparison to Rest in Peace, Charles fucking Grodin in this movie. Absolutely, I was just about to mention Charles Grodin. I, oh God, that that when they're flying in first class and he's just having that little panic attack. Yeah. I mean, I can understand panic attacks and anxiety uh, a little all too well, but holy fuck, did he <laughs> did he go overboard? Jacob, I've known you. <laughs> played off so I have well. known you for eight years. This is the first time you've ever mentioned it. Now my anxiety is very well known, and it's also been captured on the show a couple times when I panicked and freaked out. But I've never seen you panic. I've never seen you have anxiety, period. It's so strange. Yeah, I mean, it it happens when it does in at particular moments, but uh, 
I don't know what I've done exactly to try and figure it out or like tell it to shut the fuck up, but I, I whatever I'm doing, it works. I just start <laughs> masturbating. If I start masturbating, first off, I'm calm. That helps too. But also gets whoever is causing the anxiety to get the fuck away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Video games help as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, rather do, I'd rather do the first one because I get a nap afterwards. <laughs> yeah, this is a great movie, but if you don't, don't have... Don't forget to hydrate. It is more character-based. There's a couple cool action sequences, but it's yes. more character-based. But I remember there was a... Um, what do you call those? Combos? In high school, you remember when they get assemblies, assemblies, not combos, um, assemblies where they would show all these movies and stuff and get you really hyped up for the year. It's like, hey, look at all this action. Look at all the fun stuff you can do this year. Let's get hyped for the school year. And they showed like Backdraft and all these other things and they showed Midnight Run. And now knowing how many times, I think it holds the record for the word fuck. I really think it does. It's like 275 times or something like that. And um, <laughs> they say fuck so many times, I expected Joe Pesci to show up somewhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's probably the... Uh, so, But they didn't tell us it was R-rated or anything. So I went home. I said, Mom, I saw this cool footage from what we call Midnight Run. Let's go rent that. <laughs> oh, boy. As a 14-year-old, that was a lot of efforts for my parents to tolerate. <laughs> Yo, motherfucker, you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is our next film? Our next film, uh, I think this was the first time for me, too. I've seen glimpses here and there, uh, flipping through the channels, but A Fish Called Wanda, which is... Is this John Cleese's uh, directorial debut? Uh, he does not direct this, actually. He, uh, I believe, co-wrote it, but it is directed by somebody else. John Cleese is not involved. He, uh, I can't remember the director right now. Let me go look. Ah. Uh, hold on, A Fish Called... Okay. Oh, I thought he did, because I was... Well, I was looking at the credits from uh, Voodoo. And Let's I thought it said it was him. They usually say the director's name first. Yeah, there is a semi yeah, Charles... semi sequel to this sort of not, but it's called Fierce Creatures, and I believe he wrote that as well. Uh, directed by Charles Crichton, mm. and this is his final film before he dies. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, uh, well, here it says on IMDb Charles Crichton and John Cleese, but John Cleese was uncredited. Oh, like, maybe Crichton. It says his final film, so maybe Crichton was too sick to finish it. Oh, well, damn. I'm going to see. Well, anyway. If Crichton died while this was being put together. Go ahead, though. Probably, yeah. I will say, uh, just the way it plays itself out. Oh, my God. Kevin Klein, I- I'd say, was a show stealer. Oscar just nomination all the way. He got a Best Supporting Actor nomination or Oscar for this. Oh. <laughs> I can see why. Oh, man. His physical comedy, his mannerisms, his... It just overall performance. Oh god, Asshole. the sex scene with Jamie Lee. <laughs> we yell this in the car whenever someone fucks up. We go, "Asshole!" <laughs> no, seriously, just the way he crosses his eyes after he like finishes inside Jamie Lee Curtis during that sex scene. The way he's just bouncing around, it's like, how can you take that shit seriously at all? You can't. <laughs> But man, uh, again, overall great supporting cast. Michael Palin, though, of course, him and John Cleese working together on Monty Python. They you know, forever. And here's the thing: is they somehow magically mined his uh, his stutter for jokes without mocking it, the thing itself. You know what I mean? Like uh, insulting. How do I say this? He's not insulting people who suffer from a speech impediment, but there is some humor to be derived from everybody else's reaction to it. Yes, that's what it is. I know everybody's reaction to it. Like Kevin Klein, uh, Kevin Klein's just an asshole. Oh god, the way he just messes with him too. Like, oh man, it's 
so fucked up. Especially like he's coming on to him like he's like he's gay, yeah. but he's not. And oh my god, that scene though where he's just interrogating him with all the fish. Oh, that hurts. Oh that yeah, hurts. his <laughs> character suffers so much because he's supposed to do this assassination and it's not going well, and he accidentally keeps he killing, killing the dogs. Animals. Yeah, and it's just his, there's so much pathos, and when he eats that fucking fish. You want Kevin Klein to suffer, and boy, oh boy, does he suffer. Oh, God, yes, I know. The whole, the steamroller, the steamroller. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis, though, oh, you can tell, like, she's definitely, like, more of the manipulator and the mastermind. She was about to screw over Otto, like, right after the heist was done, and they um, got their uh, co-conspirator arrested. Like, at the beginning of the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. And this this Jeffrey. changed her career. And the sad part, is, well, it's good and bad. When she she had done Trading Places, of course, but after Trading Places, the heat had died off really fast. And she does this, and all of a sudden everybody's talking about her again, but she had already signed a contract for a TV show called Anything But Love with Richard Lewis, which mm. was constantly canceled and then brought back because there's a, a, a strong cult following. So it would come back for 13 episodes, and then she couldn't do a movie. And it just kept happening like that for the next three or four years, so it killed the momentum again. Thank God for true lies. <laughs> that really saved her ass. Oh, absolutely. I know. And, of course, everyone's main focus was definitely that sexy scene. But, hey, I mean, James Cameron, shit, he knows how to make a movie. Yeah, did. Now he takes 12 years to make movies and, and keeps us from seeing uh, The Abyss and uh, True Lies. Oh, what hold does he have over Fox? <laughs> exactly I know seriously after well especially well he's gonna have a hold well, di- well I think he might have some hold on Disney considering it's his Avatar films he's still yes but why are we waiting for, for four more Avatars how about we decide if we want to even see the second one exactly okay so I'm, I'm, like, I'm getting off I'm getting off the point big time I'm sorry I lost where we were going okay back to a fish called Wanda I got nothing else to you say. It's it's yeah, I, it's a huge hit, huge international hit. Um, it set the the ability to get heavenly creatures made um, nine years later, and it's just a perennial favorite. This is another one of those that was on the nineteen eighty eight tapes that we watched a bazillion times. Oh, and uh, the one who plays John Cleese's daughter in the movie—that's actually his uh, daughter, uh, Cynthia Cleese. That's cool. Yeah. Also, John Cleese, again, I would say the one who has, like, the most potential as far as acting goes uh, of the entire Monty Python troupe, it definitely goes to John Cleese. And this movie easily shows it. Yeah. And And, Kalen and uh, Cleese really work the best together. I think they're actually friends in real life. And and it just, something about their rhythm together works so well. Even though they're hardly, I don't even know if they share the screen together in this. Do they? Uh, yeah, briefly, especially when they're trying to find out the hotel. Oh, um, right, right. Of where the jewels are. Yeah, okay. But I will say, even their, their performances on, uh, you can see it on Netflix, it's the Monty Python Live, mostly, five down, one to go. Yeah. It's on Netflix. It's It was like their final performance before they went into retirement as Monty Python. And it they, again, when they work together, especially during the bird sketch, oh, God, you can tell that they try their best not to crack up. <laughs> All right. But yes, this, so this is I will say this real quickly. The uh, Blu-ray that you have in America is very bare bones. The one you want to get is the one from Arrow Pictures, which I believe is starting to go out of print. 
and it is loaded to the fucking gills with special features. It's a beautiful copy. I'll have to look into that. All right, what is our next? I will juggle it and get myself a copy. Is this is this the final film? Are we there? Is the journey almost at an end? We're there, man. Just a few more steps, we got this. I don't care. I know your legs are broken, Michael, but I will carry the rest of you the way here. (laughs) So yes, of course, this is an Eddie Murphy classic. Another, you know, another giant lump of gold coming to America. I still get to see the sequel. I still hate to see it. Yeah, I haven't got around to seeing it either. This is uh, his second collaboration with John Landis. I have no idea what the fuck they were thinking when they collaborated for the third time on Beverly Hills Cop 3, which we will not discuss on the show because the movie makes me so goddamn angry. Um, I really, I, Beverly Hills Cop 3 is just terrible to me. I don't understand why the rhythm is there, why they even did it. But this one, everything is on fire. It works so well. It is, I think, Eddie Murphy's best movie. Um, It has his voice more than any other film. It also changes up what we've seen of him. He keeps repeating himself for years where he's just playing another version of the character he started in 48 Hours. This is absolutely different. Oh, God, yes. I mean, uh, a prince from a particular uh, region in Africa, you know, just wants to be independent. You know, he stays humble. He's just surrounded by too much. He just wants to branch out. Yeah, he wants to see a different life. He doesn't want his wife given to him. He wants to fall in love. He hates the fact that everybody follows him around and does everything for him. He wants to be an independent man. And he ditches everything to go to America. And he's so happy and positive in this. It's so funny seeing like this. <laughs> Fuck you too! <laughs> oh, yeah, that was one of my favorite moments. Oh, no, but... <laughs> oh, God, yes. Or no, when they're at the basketball scene, and, um... Oh, God, Lisa's sister's trying to, like, you know, grope him, and he just goes, you know, I, we play we play football. I believe you would call it soccer. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> just jump up and yell during halftime. Yeah. Like, yes, that is my favorite part. I would the, go to the uh, this, Arsenio Hall, has he ever done another movie outside of the Coming to America movies? Because he's pretty good in this and I'm really strange out that he never bothered to do another one. Honestly, I, it would amaze me if he didn't. I know he had his TV show. Uh, Again, he's a great host, and my God, just all his different performances and uh, characters that he would play alongside Eddie Murphy. Oh God, just absolutely beautiful. Especially that preacher when he just goes all, all out with that uh, little pronunciation or how he would finish every sentence. It just fucking. <laughs> I use that meme uh, where he's spitting the water out quite a bit. Oh yeah, that scene. Oh yeah, the bar when they're trying to find a date. Yeah. And, he, he's dressed up as the girl next to Eddie Murphy, and then it cuts to him as himself. <laughs> I, I just love how he delivered that line. He's like, I know. I don't mean to say this, but I've been watching you, your friend, all night, and I want to tear you apart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this starts his. Uh, this started his thing where he would play other characters in makeup. You got Rick Baker coming in doing some amazing special effects on these guys, and it looked great. And, uh, I mean, this would, this would start. He would do this again in um, Bowfinger and Nutty Professor, the, the sequels, uh, Norbit. It's a thing that uh, I, I heard that Eddie Murphy was getting uncomfortable in his own skin. And that's why he started embracing the makeup more, because he could kind of let loose and be somebody else. Oh, ab- oh God, yes, absolutely. Coming to America. Oh, when he's uh, 
Yeah, he's pretty much he's that barber. He's um, the preacher. Oh god, he's that. Yeah, he, no, no, no. That was the preacher was uh, Arsenio Hall. But, okay. Uh, no, no, no. He was that singer. He was that singer. A sexual chocolate. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And of course, he was playing the title character, and I think he had another character. Oh yeah, the Jew, the Jewish guy in the barbershop. What about Rocky Marciano? <laughs> He's like, all right, we just taste the soup. Where's the spoon? <laughs> this, what uh, do you know if I'm funny, you asshole? I, I mean, I know some people are fans of it, but I, I think this is the last for a little while where he makes a really good movie because Harlem Nights was a flop, and I, I think it's unwatchable. I don't think it's funny, and I don't get it. Um, then there was another 48 Hours, which didn't do very well, but I kind of enjoy it. Um and I think he took a couple year gap, and then he came back with a roaring thunder with uh, Boomerang, and that basically saved his career. Yeah, that I have to look into. Boomerang. It's pretty good. It's it's way different than his normal stuff. He's a romantic lead. It's more of a lighter comedy, but it was so critically acclaimed, and it didn't cost very much. He kind of controlled, you know, the budget and the director and whatever, and it made a lot of money, especially on video. And that saved his ass for a little while. Sadly, his next movie after that was uh, Distinguished Gentleman, which I believe is one of his best, and no one saw it because I think it opened up against Aladdin. Oh, shit. Yeah, so. But yeah, he's been a guy who's so off and on, and I think people forget in the 80s, he had, okay, so he had 48 Hours, Trading Places, then he had that terrible movie where he got paid like a million dollars for a couple days of work, um... Best Defense, Beverly Hills Cop, then there's a two-year gap with uh, Golden Child, which isn't as good as people think it is, but it's not terrible. Um, Beverly Hills Cop 2, and then this. And, you know, for the most part of the decade, he was just, I guess the hits were so big that you forgot about the other ones. Exactly. I I will say this about Golden Child. If it weren't for Eddie Eddie Murphy, that movie would have just tanked himself it would have been just a complete bomb yeah but yeah he made that movie you can't deny that but yes uh honestly he still has it i mean especially coming back with uh my name is dolomite and the sequel to coming to america which i heard was pretty good yeah what does he have next i feel like there's another sequel coming around the bend am i wrong hmm what is oh yeah beverly hills cop nah is it actually in production though because i feel like it's not hmm this has been tossed on and off for years. I'm going to look right now. What is he attached to? I remember for years that he was attached to Triplets, which is the sequel to Twins. And thank God that shit didn't happen. Um, mm. it, oh my God, it's still here. It says Triplets in pre-production and Beverly Hills Cop 4 is announced, but he doesn't have anything else lined up. I don't know. I think he. Oh. I don't think he should do the Triplets. Please don't. <laughs> that sounds desperate. Yeah, no. We'll have to wait and see. All right, I mean, so that been, is it? We, is that we everything? still have the Shrek. Uh, uh, I think that is it. I think we're done. Crazy. We what we're a journey we've gone on. We're way past on. the finish line. We can stop now. All right, <laughs> so uh, we're going to be doing the 1989 episode or season next, which is usually like two or three episodes, and I'm taking a vacation, guys. I'm tired. I'm burnt out. By then, it'll be Christmas, and hopefully I'll be moving and... Uh, we might do a couple fill-in episodes. I know we, we have another podcast called We've Got the Beat, and there's some movies that my sister, who is my regular co-host, is not really interested in doing, um, and I think that you would enjoy, like, uh, 
uh, war games, uh, risky business, uh, taps, and stuff like that that I would like to do. I would like to finish up the 80s and then move on to the 90s, and that's where we'll be. Yes, of course. And my gosh, uh, as far as your vacation plans, are you planning on going to Wally World? <laughs> are they open? Or are they shut down again? <laughs> mm, I don't know. We'll have to co- I, I'll, I'll, I'll check. I'd rather go to Wally World. I'd rather go to Wally World than Wonder World. Wonder World, Wonder World. Which one's Wonder World? That's from Billy Hills Cop 3. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, good. Yeah, sounds like a plan. I'm down. As long as it... Oh my, let's not kid ourselves. COVID's probably going to destroy that. So, <laughs> shit. Get vaccinated, please. It'll, uh, yeah, I'll tell you this. You want to you be convinced to get the vaccine? Um, apparently, a lot of people who have gotten COVID, uh, they can't get erections anymore. It affects the oxygen going to their dicks. Do you like your boners? Do you want to be able to use them? <laughs> Go get your fucking shot. <laughs> that just might work. Yes. I don't know, a lot of, who knows? I like my people well, or too much. Just, or, or just put it in McDonald's chicken nuggets or a hot dog because nobody knows what's in them, but they still eat it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> What's in? Li- <laughs> Speaking of a 1988 movie, The Great Outdoors, which we did for the John Candy episode, um, what are the hot dogs made out of? Lips and assholes, Chet. Lips and assholes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are on Facebook under Hit Rewind. Uh, uh, face or under Twitter at Retro Rock Entertainment. Uh, share, like, comment. It's been kind of a vacant wasteland. No one said anything in a while. I don't know if we're doing good. I, I know our subscribers are up, but the numbers are not matching the subscribers, so I'm kind of curious. Uh, that's it. Jacob, send us out. All right. Be excellent to each other, everybody. Namaste and good luck. Do, 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 do. And be excellent to each other. That's next year, by the way. 1989. We get to do Bill and Ted's excellent. Yes. Yeah, yeah.